marvelous, how wonderful. It's something we should never, never uh, forget. That's why we have this table, so we don't forget. And we come back regularly and we remind ourselves of the great cost that was paid uh, for us to bring us to God, to forgive us, and to make us part of his family. Well, uh, God has a plan for your life. And when I say that, I'm not talking about a specific plan for you, i.e., whom do you marry, where do you live, where do you go to school, what do you do. I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a general plan that he has for everyone, that they would come to faith in Jesus, as we stated in our, in our, in our mission statement, uh, that uh, we would lead people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. And so it's our heart's desire in that um, to help people follow God, follow Christ passionately. And, and we said, well, what, what does that mean? Uh, what, does it, what does it look like? And uh, we began last week uh, starting this new series on the fruit of the Spirit, underscoring that there is one place in Scripture, there are lots of places, but one in particular um, that has nine descriptions of what Jesus looks like. Because the goal is, the plan is for us, that every one of us would become more and more like Jesus Christ. And um, uh, following him passionately means becoming like Jesus. That's the goal for all of us. That's the goal for all humanity. Although most people don't know or understand or reject that, and yet we are, we are privileged to know, to respond to his grace, and to be on this journey of becoming, uh, of being these passionate followers of Jesus Christ, which means in part to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to act like Jesus. That's what God's plan is for us. Now, there are lots of other things, but this is one, uh, one expression in two little verses that's going to take us the whole summer to go through as we look at nine fruit of the Spirit or what God, through His Spirit, through the Spirit of Jesus, does in our life to make us like Jesus. Now, I got to tell you, I, I, have, uh, I have a conviction in this for you in general. I believe with all my heart that most of us who are here have a deep desire to be more like Jesus. I, I just believe that about you. Um, I believe that, and, and I'm convinced that, that you really, deep down in your heart, want to be more like Jesus. You want to follow him. You, you want to have a warmer, deeper, uh, more intimate relationship with him. I really believe that. Now, I know some of you, some of you maybe are just kind of, you're just cold in your heart right now. You say, that it's not what I'm after, really. I, if, if I'm honest, I, came, I come to church because I have a duty to do, or, uh, you know, I'm just trying to keep on the right side of God by tossing him a little bone here or there by showing up at church. But I, I, I know that some of us may, our heart may not be just passionately after God, but I believe most of us are. And, and some of us find following God is, is a challenge. It's a huge challenge. And as we look at to be like Jesus, uh, some of us are going, whoa, I, I don't know whether I can do that. Or I, that's, that sounds kind of hard for me or difficult for me. But I really believe this. And my prayer is that we will, we will cooperate with God through this summer and what he's trying to do in our lives to help us to become more like Jesus. Are we ready to do that? Um, And and so I just want to pray as we start. Father, uh, Lord, I just believe that, that most of us here really have a deep desire to be more like you. And we know there are a lot of things that push us a lot of pressures and a lot of uh, challenges that we have in our life that, that maybe keep us from that, or, or our hearts grow cold at times, and we, we don't want it to be so, but we, we let things slide. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives, and that we would understand more about what it is to look like and be like Jesus, and that we would see ourselves progressing Uh, and this whole task of being coming more like you. And I pray, Father, as we look back over this this summer, that we will see that this wasn't a time that we were just uh, uh, marking time 
but, but you are working in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And I pray that what we go into the fall with, uh, Lord, will be evident that you have been working us and making us more like Jesus. And so we pray to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, it just so happens, wonderfully planned, that we have nine fruit of the Spirit. And when we get to uh, the Labor Day weekend, that will be nine Sundays, okay? So starting today, we will each week take one of these fruit of the Spirit and look at it and understand it. And we'll ask God, is this me or do I need some work in this area and what shall I do? What, what do you want to do in my life? So um, we're starting with the fruit of the Spirit and the, the very first one. Uh, and I, I have no screen up here. Uh, and so we want to talk about uh, the, the, the first fruit of the Spirit is the primacy is love. And we want to talk about the primacy of love. Now, what I'm going to do is, what I hope to do is, uh, in, in a short amount of time, I want to overwhelm you with the importance of love as we see it in Scripture. And, uh, and I hope you will understand how important this is to God and how important it should be to us also. So, uh, the primacy of love. First, it heads up the list of the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But the first one is love. And I, wanna, I, I, I think that's not by accident that it is that way. That God wants to show us how important this is and how foundational this is to everything we are and have. Uh, so first, I want to say it's first in commandment. So Jesus was having a discussion with somebody who was trying to trap him. Uh, a doctor in theology was testing him just to see, uh, testing his mettle, to see if he knew his stuff. And so he said to Jesus, well, tell me, uh, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, now, in, in Jewish law, there were 613 commandments. And so he's saying, well, what's, what's the most important one? And Jesus answers that. Here's how he answers it. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The most important, the first in order. So it's not by accident that love ends up being the first on the list. Because when when Jesus is asked what's the most important commandment of all the Old Testament, he said it's to love God with the totality of your being. And he goes on to say, and the second is like it, love, love, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So you can take the 613 laws in the Old Testament and you can reduce it to love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Paul thought about this and he reduced it even further. And in Galatians 5.14, he says, The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. You see, you can't love your neighbor unless you love God. You can't love your neighbor unless you have the love of God in you. And so Paul can say, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you'll fulfill the whole law because you can't do that without God. And you'll be honoring God and loving God anyway. So it's the first in commandment. Next, it, uh, it exceeds religious duty. There are a lot of things, religious things that we may do and, and uh, uh, habits and practices, uh, but he wants us to know that it exceeds religious duty. In fact, he's writing to the Galatian church, and the Galatians are, uh, they've got some big-time problems going on there. They've got relational problems in that church. They've got doctrinal problems. And one of the problems they faced was this. People who became believers at first were Jewish people. And because of the deep roots of their Jewish faith, they practiced the Jewish faith, including all the rites and all the holy days and all the, all the different things that went along with Jewish law. Uh, one of those was circumcision. And they said, you know, like, oh, so if Gentiles become Christians because the Jews circumcise, and that's a sign of their faith, then what we need to do is we need to make Gentile Christians obey Jewish law. And this was a big-time problem. 
And uh, so what the Apostle Paul said was this. He said, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. It's not going to help you. Religious ritual is not going to help you. The only thing that counts is this. Faith expressing itself through love. So when, when you think of all the religious duty you have to do, love is more important than that. It, it, it exceeds that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, we read this. I, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that I can move mountains but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. All of the religious rituals and things that you do as a part of your faith, if it's not done in love, if love isn't core to that, then it means nothing. It means nothing. Love is that important. Well, it's also the greatest of the virtues. In that same chapter, uh, we read the, these words um, in the 13th verse. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Ah, but the greatest of these is love. You see, there's going to be a time when you won't need faith anymore because your faith will be sight. You, you, won't, you won't need to believe God when you can't see him because everything will be seen you don't have to you won't need hope anymore because hope will be realized you'll be with God ah but eternally love will exist and so he said it's the greatest of virtues and it's the core essence of the character of God it's the core essence of the character of God here's what he says in first John 4 Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The, at the core of who God is, is this characteristic, this virtue of love. He would go on and say in chapter 4 and verse 16, and we know and rely on the love God has for us because God is love. It's so key to everything that he's saying. Well, whatever you might think of God... Whatever, whoever you might think he is or how he is or what he does, you need to know this. At the core of everything he does is love. It's love. Well, and it, it also, uh, it, it was repeatedly commanded in Scripture. I'm not even going to give you Scriptures this because it's so many. I took a, a, a small area of Scripture and I found about 20 uh, commandments to love. So it was repeatedly commanded in different ways in the Scripture. Um, and it encompasses other virtues. So when we, when we go to a wedding ceremony sometimes, what we hear is uh, part of 1 Corinthians 13 uh, shared. And it's kind of like a description of love. And uh, so he says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It isn't self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love just it does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, if you go through this, this list of what love is about, you'll find in the fruit of the Spirit these kinds of things. That, that not pride, but that humility that we'll talk about. It, it talks about uh, the patience and the caring for others and, and all of these things. And you realize that that description is really uh, encapsulated in so many of the fruit of the Spirit. So not only is that, it's a trait by which Jesus wanted to distinguish his followers. Jesus said this to his disciples the night before he went to the cross. He said, he said this, By this will everyone know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. That is, Jesus wanted to demark us, he wanted to identify us in the world by the love that we have, which is the love he has for us. 
we're to have that same love for one another. That means that what Jesus desired to do is he wants to put on display for the world to see his church, his people. And he wants the church to look at us and go, wow, this is incredible. Like, I can't believe how you guys love each other. I, don't, I don't, can't believe how you guys take care of each other, that, that you're concerned for. I, I can't, I watch you helping. I watch you reaching out and loving and caring. And, and Jesus said, this is the mark that I want my church to bear. This is what I want them to be known of. And uh, it's an indicator of genuine faith. How do you know if a person is truly a Christian? Well, Jesus said, by their fruit, you'll know them. So what, what is he saying here? He, he says this. We know that we have passed from death to life. That's spiritual death to life. Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. He said, if you want to kind of do a, a bit of a test, and I'm not saying that we do this to each other. I'm not saying we're judgmental with each other, but I'm saying this. If you want to look at your life and say, does this reflect the kind of love that Jesus talks about? And you say, no, I don't see that in my life. Then there may be a big question mark over your faith because he said, we know that we pass from death into life because we love each other. It's a sign that God is working in us, that we are true believers. And so it's so important for us. By their fruit, you'll know them. And that fruit Heading the list is love. The bottom line is, uh, when love is seen in us, it bears witness to a genuine relationship that we have with God. Well, this is so important. So we want to talk about, when you talk about love, what what do we mean? What's the meaning of love? We come to understand what it's like uh, that love embraces so many shades of meaning. And in fact, in the New Testament, um, which was written originally in Greek, we find there are four different words for love. Now we say love, and love has all different kinds of shades of meaning. But in, in the Greek language, there was much more uh, uh, precision about what kind of love was being talked about. And there are four uh, basic words in Greek that are used, and these are found in the Bible as well. Well, The first one is called storge, and storge is like a family love. It's the affection that uh, parents have for a child. You, You know, when you take your child in your arms and you look them in the face and and they smile or giggle, and there's this love and this bond you have, this filial kind of love. That's storge. Um, And then there's another kind of love, and that's called philia. Um, And that talks about also a kind of a a friendship kind of love, a brotherly love. Um, You know, the city in the States, named after brotherly love, is what is it? Philadelphia, and it means love of brother. It's, it's the brotherhood of people. It's the friendship love, uh, and that's a part of it also. And then there's another word, and it's called eros. We get from that erotic, for instance. It's romantic love or sexual love. Now, I love, I love my sister, and if I give my sister a hug and say, I love you, sis. That's not the way I hug my wife, right? There's a different connotation. I say, I love you, but it's a different connotation. And so there are all these different words, but there's one that we haven't had, and the fourth word is called agape. And agape is is a kind of love um, that is expressive most often of God and his love for us. In fact, this word um, is not, it's, it's rarely used in Greek literature. More often than not, it's the other, it, it, it's, it's the other words that are used. They don't use this uh, particular word. So um, I want to talk about agape love as it's described, and then we'll try and nail down a, uh, a definition of it. Agape love. It's distinguished from these other expressions of love. It's different. Uh, 
It, it shows uh, a different, a whole different side to this love. And the first thing that we find about it is love is focused on the mind and not on the emotions. Now, when we talk about love, so often what we mean, we, we talk about emotions. If I say to Gerda, I love you, often that means I have, I have these deep, warm feelings for you. Um, but that's not, that's not the way agape looks. It focuses on the mind, not on the emotion. Um, when, you, when you think of, of love, most of what we think about love involves feelings, emotions. That's not the case with this love. And that's why, that's why people can say, um, I, I talk to maybe a married couple, and they say, well, we're just not in love anymore. So well, what, do you, what do you mean by that? What they mean is, I don't have the feelings for him, or she doesn't have the feeling for me. Uh, and and uh, so what they're saying is, I'm not feeling it. See, there was a time when I felt it. And God made us that way. You know, with all those romantic feelings, that's a gift of God. To enjoy that uh, romance and warmth and, and that feeling of love and, and, and tenderness and care and, and that in love feeling. You know, when, I remember when Gerda and I were dating and my aunt came over and I said to my aunt, she is wonderful. Oh, Aunt Afton, she is... You got to meet her. She's, you know, what? It, what is it? There's this, there's this feeling that I feel, and there's this, there's this mutuality, but that feeling sometimes goes away. You know, I mean, if if you've been married long enough, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and you have to try and stir that up, those warm feelings again. But this isn't about that. It, it, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was. Um, some time ago, I was doing a, a set of uh, uh, vows, wedding vows out, and I was, I was copying something. And you know how the, the I and the O were kind of close to it on the, on the typewriter? And I hit, uh, I hit an O instead of an I. And then as I looked at what I'd done, you know, it says, well, I, I, you know, I'll be committed to you as long as we both shall love, and it was live, right? And I looked at that, and I thought, you know, that's how probably most people enter marriage. I'll be committed to you as long as I love, we love. As long as that feeling is there, as long as I feel like, yeah, you know, I'm still feeling the feeling, that's okay. When that happens, if it doesn't, then I have a way out, and I'll find someone else to marry and I'll stay with them as long as we both shall love instead of live. Well, it's focused on the mind, not feeling. But there's something else. Love is about doing also and not feeling. It's about action. See, we, we think of love as, uh, as a noun so often, what love is. But love is a verb. And we tend to think of love as a passive thing. You know, I love you means I have feelings for you. And in, in here, with agape, it's, it's different about this love. It's, it's not about feeling. It's about how we think and, uh, and what we choose to do. Uh, it, it's all about feeling. John 3, 1 John 3.18, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You know, if... if uh, Our kids are small, and I come home, and Gerda's had a a terrible, hectic time. Everything is going crazy, trying to help the kids, trying to make... And and I see this, and I say, I love you, hon. I leave the table. I go and put on the ball game and put my feet up and say, good work. Love you, hon. She's not... Tell you what, she's not feeling it, okay? Because love is not just about feeling, it's about doing. And in James chapter 2, James is pretty hard on this. He, he said, you guys who think your faith is so hot, um, you, you think you can tell, talk about your faith but not do it. 
But he said, if you see someone and they, they don't have clothes and they don't have anything to eat and you say to them, hey, God bless you, be fed and keep warm and be well and do nothing. He said, that's not what love is. Love is about doing something. It's about action. It's about doing, not feeling. On top of that, it does the best for others. It's not consumed with self. It's consumed with helping and doing for others. It's not selfishly thinking about what I want, what I want to do, what I care about. Do you remember when John F. Kennedy, President of the United States, said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask for what you can do for your country. See, that's kind of the love. Don't ask what, you know, what's about me. Ask what you can do for others. Ask how you can help others. And Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners, while we were rebellious, while we didn't care. Christ did something for us. Christ died for us. Christ died in our place. And that's why Paul could say in Philippians 2, he could say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Don't be consumed with yourself. You remember when it said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, I, I, when I put myself first all the time, when I don't care about others, when I'm not helping and giving to others, when I, I have no concern for them, that's not the kind of love that agape love is all about. And it's not always about you and, or me, and it's not always about getting our way. It's about sharing and doing and caring for others. Well, also, it's undeserved and expects nothing in, in, uh, in return. So much of our love is predicated on what we get out of it. Do you know, we kind of, we kind of live in this way that um, if you do something for me, you have built up some currency with me. I owe a bit of a debt, so I need to do something for you because you did something for me. You know, sometimes somebody, somebody invites you over for a meal and say, I guess we should have them back because we work on that system. Um, you know, you did for me, so I owe you. But that's not what agape love is about. Agape love is about expecting nothing in return, doing something for someone who can't even help you back. See, that's how it works. And, and yet, even in kindness and benevolence, we can sometimes do something like that for what we get out of it. Because I'm going to have the Kevin Rutledge lobby. I'm going to give money to build a whole new lobby. So would you, is this about you? Well, in a lot of cases, even benevolence and kindness can be done with a wrong motive. To love, not to get something back, just to love for the sake of loving. That's what God's love is about. In Ephesians chapter 2, there's uh, the, the, the first three verses paint just a, an ugly, ugly picture of humanity outside of Jesus Christ, dead in trespasses and sin, under the power of Satan, uh, living for their own lusts, uh, just, just terrible. And then we get to uh, verse, verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. He, he, says, he says in this that what you got, you didn't deserve because what you deserve is death and judgment. But he said, but because of the great love of God for us, uh, he's rich in mercy. He did for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves. And there's nothing in return. We can't pay for it. We can't, we can't uh, earn it. We can't, we can't uh, embrace it as ours. That's the kind of love. In fact, that love is such that in Matthew 5, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Ouch. I don't think I like that. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. Love even where you would love your enemies. And the other thing is, it's sacrificial. It costs. It doesn't come for nothing. That kind of love costs you. 
If you want to love like Jesus, you're going to have to sacrifice like Jesus. In John 15, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus said, I did that for you. And I expect you to do that also. You know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Is that the kind of love that you've embraced, that you think and, and hear about? So I want to just give you a, uh, uh, an, a definition of this kind of agape love, that, uh, and it's in your, it's in your uh, bulletin. But um, I'm just trying to capture the essence of what it is. Love is an act of the will that does the best for others, regardless of who they are or what they have done. Even if they don't express gratitude, repay you, or they seek to harm you. That's the kind of love we're talking about. And when you want, say, I, who wants to be like Jesus? I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. You want to hang on a cross being tortured by people and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to love like Jesus. And this is what that love looks like. Well, I don't know. Is it just me or does this seem like, I don't know that I can do that. Pray for my persecutors. I love my enemies. Do the best for my enemies, even if they're, even if they're intent on hurting me. Is that the kind of thing you can do? Because I, I don't think... I don't think that's something that I'm going to be very good at. How do we achieve this kind of love then? How, how do we love like that? I want to suggest three things that will help us maybe in thinking through this. The first one is revel in the love of God. Revel in the love of God. The thing that, the thing that most of us as, as human, well, I'm going to say all of us, a human need is to be loved, and yet some of us don't get that. We don't receive the love that we want. We don't, we don't receive the love that, that uh, feeds and nourishes our soul. And yet, God loved us. And what he loved was messy. As we said in, in Ephesians 2, uh, people who are against God, nasty, miserable people, living for themselves, hurting other people. And yet, God showed love through Christ to people like that. Listen to what John would say. He said, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Have you thought about? I mean, we're going to sit and remember about the love of God. We didn't deserve this. We should be in hell. We, uh, we are under judgment and condemnation for our sin and our wickedness. But God, for his great love, and, and his mercy saved us from that. And he loved you. Do you get that? That the creator of the universe loved you that much. That he gave his son. I, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine what that would, would, would be for the father to sacrifice his son. And for the son to um, allow himself to be so brutalized. Let that truth wash over you. God loves me. And when you begin to revel in the love of God and who God is and what he's done, it's incredible. Listen to what, listen to what the Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 3. Here, here's a prayer request he had. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the saints, listen to this, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is, and to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you hear what his prayer request is? Oh God, what, what Christians need today to know, they need to know the depth of God's love for them. They need to know how 
incredibly high and wide and deep and all these dimensions of what it is. That's what we need to know. We need to grasp. He says, I hope that they can grasp what what they can't comprehend. Because we can't begin to understand the magnitude of God's love for us. And when we sit back and go, I can't believe, I can't believe that God would do that for me. Here I am. I'm undeserving of all that. And yet God has poured that out on me. That is incredible. Here's what it says in 1 John 4, 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. He goes on, he says in John 4, 19, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. You know, if you want to love like that, I think you need to saturate yourself first in God's love because God loved you. Can I say something? Maybe you didn't realize how much God loved you. Maybe you thought of God as vindictive, as judgmental, angry, harsh, wanting to obliterate you and stamp you out, and you never realized how much God loved you and the extent he went by sending his son to die and the son to die to take the place of us and take our punishment. Um, if, you, if you have never grasped that, that is, that is a... Um, a thought that can revolutionize, revolutionize your life, can transform your life to know that God, the, the awesome, powerful creator of the universe, loved you that much. Let me ask you a question. He's extended you an invitation to come to him, to come into his arms of love, to be forgiven of your sin, to turn from your waywardness to him and say, I do believe in what Jesus did. He did for me, and I accept that. My prayer is if you haven't done that, that this morning you'll not leave this building without opening your heart to him, recognizing your sin and and that you don't deserve anything, and to understand how much he loved you, and to put your faith and your trust in him. Well, saturate yourself in the love of God. And secondly, be encouraged by the church. What do I mean? If you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you became uh, a member of his family. You became a part of a community. And, and I, I've said this before, but sometimes we talk like this. Jesus is my personal savior. Well, I understand there, there's something legitimate about this. He brought us into a community of faith. And he didn't want us to journey alone. He wanted us to journey together with others in faith. And so as we try and live out this love, in Hebrews 10, he says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How am I going to love? Well, uh, we have a responsibility to encourage each other to love. Uh, one, of the, one of the great things I've had are people in my life who have modeled love, and I'm going, ah, that's what it looks like. To be in a community where we see some people that shine and they're examples for us and that we encourage each other. See, we're not to be in this alone, uh, but we're to be in this together with him. Well, thirdly and lastly, we need to submit to the Holy Spirit's direction and empowerment. We said this last week that we, we can't do this. I mean, when I look at the standard of God's love, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I just, I'm out of here. But God never asks us to do anything that he doesn't provide the wherewithal to do that. And so uh, what he does is he, by his Holy Spirit, uh, shapes and molds and fashions us to be like Jesus. I mean, how do you love your enemy? How do you pray for your persecutors? How, how do you become so selfless that you give away rather than cling to yourself? It's only with God working in us. And as we looked last week, um, we found that so if we walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who lives in us, if we are led by him, sensitized to him, and walk with, with every, um, as he guides us, we, wa- we won't gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. 
It's his power working in us. And if we're led by the Spirit, he says we're not under the law. He wants to lead us. He wants to say, no, 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 no. Don't, don't go there. Don't, don't be there. Don't have that attitude. This is, this is the way to go. He leads us. He guides us in the way. And, and again, a couple of verses later, since we live by the Spirit, uh, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is trying to produce Christ in us to shape and fold and make, uh, make and mold us into the image of Jesus. And he does that. And we see people like, like a Jim Elliott who was with the Aka Indians in, in the 1950s seeking to share the good news of Jesus and connecting with this tribe, this, this tribe that was, uh, uh, could be vicious and savage. In fact, they were called the Quechua, and the Quechua meant uh, savage. And 10 men who were flying in and making connection with this tribe that was... Uh, uh, very remote, sharing the love of God, and then something went wrong. They came in one day, their plane didn't come back, and all five of them had been killed by this tribe. And the wives of some of these guys went back to share the love of Christ, and it began a movement of people of this tribe coming to faith in Christ. I mean, how do you do that? That's only the Spirit of God um, musicians, if, you would, if you'd come up, please, and if, if the servers would come up at this time, please, as well. I, I saw something, and I, I apologize that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't find the source material a second time. But I saw something that deeply impacted me. It was a, it was a, a serial rapist and killer, a vicious person, a terrible, terrible person. And um, he was found guilty. And there was an opportunity for victim impact statements. And I remember listening to these statements and listening to these people. And uh, how challenging it was. you, You heard just the raw pain and emotion. I remember two sisters facing this guy and screaming at him with tears pouring down their face. I hope you rot in hell forever for what you've done to us and our family and our sister. You know, and, and you can feel it. One guy, one, one father, tried to get through the, the court security. And he said, just give me five minutes with him, Your Honor. Just give me five minutes with him. And, and, and the hatred was, was, was so palpable in there. And this went on as people gave their victim impact statements. And then this father approached the microphone, walking slowly, big burly guy, big red beard like this, walked up, and uh, the man was sitting there with his head down, not responding to anything, not looking up. And this man said, a lot of people here today hate you. He said, I don't hate you. And I want you to know that I and my family forgive you. I mean, it it, it was so contrary to everything that was going on. I remember seeing the guy and starting to see his chest heave. Wiping away tears. He didn't deserve that. Who can say that? I know my, nat- my natural inclination was put me in a room with that guy for five minutes who has re- tortured and, and abused and raped and killed my daughter. Just give me five minutes. and re- you know, No, that's not the spirit of God. That's not the spirit of Jesus. That's not what Jesus would have done. And I don't know what happened with him after that, but I know this. You can't do that except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the thing that Jesus wants to put us on display and say, hey world, look at this. These are my people. Look how they treat each other. Look how they love one another. Look at how they care for one another. That's the love we're talking about. And that only comes when God by his Holy Spirit leads and guides us. My prayer is that we would put this stuff into action. On the back of your bulletin, We've got just a few things in there. We've got a definition. 
But we said we don't want this just to be something that we do. It's just something we talk about as, as a passing fancy. And we put just a few questions in there. You know, what's your love quotient? How much do you reflect Jesus or not? And at the bottom it says, one way for me to be like Jesus is to, and because it's doing, I want to challenge you to think about what you can and should do to be like Jesus. Maybe today, maybe this week, maybe something that you've been letting go, maybe, maybe something that you have not forgiven, maybe somebody who needs help, but you're going to do something. And let's trust that God will take us bit by bit and make us like Jesus. We're going to take communion in just a second. And um, we're going to bring it out to you. There's a, a wafer that represents the body of Christ that was sacrificed for us. And there's a cup which represents the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf. And uh, I would ask you if you would just, uh, as we uh, take these out, just keep them. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is for you. If you're not there yet, please don't feel uh, pressured that you should do this. This is something to do when you have become a Christian. Perhaps you've opened your heart to Jesus Christ in, this, uh, in the, our service this morning. If that's the case, you take those emblems and then just hold them until we all take them together as we reflect on that incredible love that Jesus has for us. Uh, Father, thank you for the love that you showed us. May we revel in that love. May we extend that love to others as your Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to do what we cannot naturally do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We read that uh, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, 